I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's take a look at this video to start us off this morning. Gentlemen Negri and Officer Clemens, I presume? Correct as always, Your Highness. Could we take a close look at uh, your badge here, Officer Clemens? My friends, I think, can read it. P-O-L-I-C-E. I have always felt policemen are the most dangerous person in the neighborhood. So to have me playing a police officer, I was tremendously hesitant. But there was something reluctant about Fred to let go. And I said, Mr. Rogers, I would be very happy to be on your program as long as it doesn't interfere with my singing. We've had it and now we can go. We don't want us anymore. <laughs> he teased me. He teased me about that for 20 years. He said, Officer Clemens, are we interfering with your career? Are we interfering? He was relentless, but he also told me, he said, that was the moment I loved you. He said, because you were not going to kiss my ass. Those are Mr. Rogers' words. <laughs> oh, there's Officer Clemens. Hi, Officer Clemens. Come Hello, in. Rogers, how are you? Fine, won't you sit down? It's so warm, I was just uh, putting some water on my feet. Oh, it sure is. Would you like to join me? That looks awfully enjoyable, but I don't have a towel or anything. Oh, you share mine. Okay, sure. So in May of 1969, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood had only been on TV for a little more than a year at this point in time. Mr. Rogers arrives to the house in the neighborhood carrying a kiddie pool with him. But it's not a, a summer's day at all. Mr. Rogers is taped on stage at WQED in Pittsburgh, and anybody who's lived in Pittsburgh knows it's cold a lot of the year. The episode aired early in May, so it was probably taped somewhere around mid-April, if not earlier that year. And so if you're a Pittsburgh native, our Pittsburgh native is not here today. Nicole, I would look straight at her. If you're a Pittsburgh native, you can, in April, Pittsburgh is not summer. So why is Fred so hot? So Officer Francois Clemens is the friendly neighborhood cop that stops by now and again for a visit with Mr. Rogers, and it cannot be unnoticed that he is black. Not only is it unusual to have a black authority figure on TV in the late 1960s, this is the only role Mr. the officer Francois Clemens is, is this role makes the only black reoccurring character on all of children's television at this time. And so Francois moves, removes his tall military boots. As you saw, he was beginning to do that, and he rolls up his pants. And Mr. Rogers gently soaks Francois's feet next to his own feet with the hose. And it's important to know that a few years before this, in 1964, a group of black teenagers protested segregation at a Florida motel. I wonder if you've ever heard this story. 
There's an awful video of it. And they didn't do it by picketing or sitting on the floor in a lobby. They protested by jumping in the motel pool to swim. And there's this horrendous video footage of the motel's owner, James Brock, responding violently by pouring muratic acid, I think that's how you pronounce it, muratic acid in the pool where they, they were still in it at this point in time with the intention of burning them. The teens were later arrested by Florida police and swimming pools remained a hotly contested space throughout the so-called civil rights movement. And so that, that was why Fred Rogers was so hot that day in April in Pittsburgh in 1969. That's also why Fred, as often as he could, reminded his viewers that it's, it's so great, so great to live in a neighborhood with people like Officer Francois Clemens. It's great to live in a neighborhood with someone who sings like him and someone who walks like him and someone who talks like him and looks like him, uniquely looks like him because there's no one in the world like him. And it's important that we like him just the way he is. And in so doing, Fred, much ahead of his time, brings not only awareness, but significance and wonder to the differences that shape us. Fred didn't sing songs about how we are all the same as a means to gloss over our differences. Instead, he lifted them up. He lifted up our differences as crucial to the human experience and made mention of them so that we could find glory in them. For Fred, it was our differences, not our similarities, that made us beautiful. And so in that, Fred was just taking a page out of Jesus' playbook again. Uh, did you pay attention to 1 Corinthians? So Paul visits the early church in Corinth and finds that their differences are making the forming of community there almost unbearable. Differences in faith expression, differences in political affiliation to the empire, differences in body, differences of opinion, Jews and Gentiles and circumcised and uncircumcised and slaves and masters and men and women and devout and pagan, and they're bickering, and they're infighting, and they're virtue signaling, and that's running the church. And Paul writes this letter in 1 Corinthians as a means to remind them of what the community is for, and who the community is with, and what love looks like. And so two chapters before, you all know it. Y'all know it comes in 1 Corinthians, might be the only verse you know. <laughs> Two chapters before, Paul, exhausted by how they're allowing all their differences to divide them rather than finding the beauty in all of them, writes, y'all, this isn't what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not full of envy, but it's abounding in hope. Y'all know that one. That's why I will never let you use this at a wedding. And then we get to chapter 15. And Paul is responding directly to a question asked of him about the afterlife. And it's a question about difference. Someone asked him, at the end of days, Jesus, how is the dead raised? Please tell us, Jesus. Please tell us that in the life that is to come, all of our differences here on earth, 
differences in body and differences in spirit and differences in race and gender and worldview and personality and, and ability, all of them will just be made one and will just all coalesce under this amalgam of, of homogeneity and unity and, and sameness. Please, Jesus, make heaven be that easy. A place where we won't be able to even see difference because we will all be made in Christ, made one in Christ. And did you see what Jesus says? <laughs> How foolish are you? First of all, these are apples and oranges. Like, we can't talk with spiritual bodies and physical bodies and what's here and what's there. I mean, first of all, these are apples and oranges. You can't compare what you experience in this kingdom with the kingdom that is to come. There are earthly bodies and there are heavenly bodies. And the splendor of heavenly bodies is one thing, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another thing. Notice he still says there is splendor in earthly bodies. And there's glory in all of it, Jesus says. And the sun is glorious, and the moon is a different kind of glorious, and the stars are a different kind of glorious, and every star differs from, from the next star, and it's the differences that abound in creation that make all of this so glorious. So no, things won't just mesh into an amalgamation of sameness, but the kingdom of God is where difference is perpetually acknowledged and celebrated. And all of your blindness and toil against the differences of flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. This great God of diversity who giggled with glee at the creation of ostriches and aardvarks and blowfish, also created each of you unique in body and unique in experience. And though it will all be so different, so much more glorious than our minds can even imagine in these bodies, God at the reconciliation of all things will not forsake, but will celebrate the glorious diversity of humanity. And Fred takes this foundation from Jesus, this splendor indifference, and adds that it is only by understanding and marveling at our uniqueness that any of us can fully appreciate how special our neighbor really is. The entirety of the episode in which Fred soaks Francois's feet is incredibly simple, but it's also incredibly powerful. Fred has this mas masterful way of modeling goodness and kindness and just behavior in general for kids because he knew of how effective modeling and representation could be. And so in an interview in 1994, Fred said he'll never forget the day that he visited a nursery school and the director of that school had invited in a sculptor to the classroom but then she said to the sculptor very seriously, I do not want you teaching sculpting to these kids. I just want you to sit in front of them and do what you feel you'd like to do with the clay. And so from this, Fred takes these words and makes them into a phrase he used his entire life called loving the clay. Like loving the clay. This idea of just doing what you love, showing what you love, 
and who you love in front of people as a way of teaching and spreading and loving the clay as he called it until others begin loving the clay too. And this is, this is not new, we know it's not new. It echoes ideas we've heard so many other places like, like show, don't tell, or attraction rather than promotion. And it, it has this sense, this timeless sense, this inner faith sense. It's like, like love your neighbor or do unto others as you would have them do to you. But there's this one other thing that Fred said he began to notice about this concept as he lived out loving the clay. He began to notice one other thing about this. He noticed that rather than it pushing him to become some kind of hero, some great leader, some lover of humanity, the idea of just loving the clay just calls him and calls us to be the best versions of ourselves that can be seen, and then just letting that be seen. And so, no heroic feat, no superiority complex, no virtue signaling, but just letting others see the way you love the clay, the way you love the differences in others, the way you love humanity, the way you live love with others, so one of my favorite, iconic, subversive Mr. Rogers moments is the moment of him feeding his fish. And it's a moment you see over and over again through the show. I want you to watch this for a second. Now I'll show you this that I brought in just a minute. But I need to feed the fish right away. <laughs> some friends who get very concerned when I forget the fish during our visits. Well, I just wanted you to know that even if I forget to feed them when we're together, I come back later and feed them so they're always taken care of. It's good to know that fish and animals and children are taken care of by those who can, isn't it? I'd like to take care of you. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I like to take care of you. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I like to take care of you, too. Yeah. And so whenever Fred feeds the fish, there's this little, um, have you heard it, this little jazz piano riff, mimicking the actions of fish. Know, of them going up and opening their mouths and closing their mouths to get the food. And seeing, seeing this adult marvel at the uniqueness of fish, at the uniqueness of puppets, <laughs> at the splendor and vulnerability and need for care and the difference these fish are from him, and then seeing him engage in this small but significant task of taking care of another creature in this moment of reverence almost, it just requires a bit of pause, like a pause of patience, a pause of quiet, just to sit with that beauty. And he does this in the show over and over and over again, and he never, he never tells them how they are to take care of things. He loves the, he loves the fish. He, he was showing us how to live out our goodness, not by telling us to do good, 
as was the trend in most other children's educational programs that followed in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, don't do drugs, don't steal things, don't talk back to your mom or your teacher, but by just doing it is what, he never told anybody what to do, he just did it. By, by being good to your neighbor, by loving the clay. <laughs> Mr. Rogers liked to say that attitudes are caught and not taught. That's, that's what happens when you watch someone love the clay in front of you. And he didn't just demonstrate how to work with the clay or to tie your shoes or how to draw with a crayon, but he actually showed kids that doing the right thing actually makes you feel good. You hear that song, I like to take care of you. I like to do it. It makes me feel good inside to take care of other people, to love the clay throughout life. But here's the rub. We all know that doing the right thing does not always feel good. Sometimes it can take a lot of effort to overcome habit and experience and upbringing and instinct and feelings to do the right thing. And one of the ways Mr. Rogers taught us to do good and to feel good were by just accepting people as they are. Accepting them as they are, and that is one of the most difficult lessons he had to teach us. It's difficult. It's difficult these days when militia groups are descending on Richmond and making threats about cleansing and, and sparking civil war and supposed to like them as they are. And it's difficult when the person with the most power in the United Methodist Church in Virginia is making decisions that actively cause harm to LGBTQ people. It's difficult. How are we supposed to love them as they are? If being good people means accepting those people too, as they are, well first, I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm supposed to do it. Is it supposed to feel good to love people like that as they are? And so I've been thinking a lot about that lately, about this phrase that I like you as you are, and it's just you I like, just you. And this is a fascinating and a difficult theological concept right here. Our differences are what make us beautiful. But what about the differences between you and I that illuminate your fear and your sin and your exclusion and your selfishness and your narcissism? What about the differences between us that illuminate brokenness and ignorance and individualism and all the evils of this world? So this is this fascinating and difficult theological concept, but what about the people who don't live into the image of God in which they were created? Like last week when Josh was here and preached so beautifully, that don't exude the goodness that is bedrocked in them. What, what, what then? What if they just exude the bad that crept in over time? What about the rapists and the racists? What about those who have made difference out to be an offense towards themselves and their way of life? What about those who don't celebrate the diversity of creation but rather just work towards homogeneity? What about those people? Are we supposed to accept them as they are? Are we supposed to accept the behavior of those who harm people? So what would Fred's answer be? What would Jesus' answer be? God in the flesh, who made all the richness of difference 
and diversity that makes us stand and marvel, what would they say? It's difficult, but Fred would say, still love them as they are. Still embrace them just as they are with all their crap because that's what grace does. And there is a subtle difference between that idea and saying that everything they do is fine. When Chris, when, when Chris that's my husband, eh, he has important things to say too. When Fred, when Fred says, it's you I like, or when Fred is living out the faith of Jesus Christ, offers love to folks without condition, marvels at the differences we like to celebrate and the differences also of our brokenness. He's saying that we as Christians don't believe in monsters. If you were here last week, if goodness is the bedrock of who we are, if, if, if Fred said that and Jesus said that, then we don't believe in monsters. We don't believe in people who can't be redeemed. Our Christian faith was t would tell us otherwise. Our Christian faith would tell us that there is no such thing as monsters, but that people harm others and fe fear difference in a slew of complicated reasons, most of which usually stem from some variation of themselves, having been harmed and haven't been given the opportunity to heal from it. Accepting people as they are is this lofty goal. <laughs> Believing that differences between us are beautiful when those differences grate against us is nearly impossible and we will not be able to do it most of the time and sometimes it's way more complicated than just accepting someone fred rogers was this master though of loving the clay of demonstrating and modeling the graciousness that he wished to see in the world and he did it in tv where millions could mimic what fred was representing and learn how to love the clay in their own way. And so today I'm going to invite you to love the clay um, after worship. Recently uh, in the United Methodist Church we have been talking about the, the what's impending that there's division related to human sexuality and that there's this proposal that was put on the table where everybody came to the table, differences in hand, differences abounding, and said let's create some space for us to disagree and for the next five months as we work towards actually splitting, we will split, as we work towards that, let's, let's not harm each other. Let's just stop pressing charges, stop taking clergy up on trials, stop doing, stop, just stop. Um, unfortunately though, um, they, while it was a suggestion to put a moratorium on all charges until the split happens, um, not all bishops, uh, said yes to that. And the one in Virginia specifically did, did not say yes to that. In fact, said she will double down. Um, so that's my direct boss. <laughs> and with all the respect I have for her, um, I'm incredibly disappointed in her leadership. And so I'm going to invite you today to love the clay, not to tell her what she's doing wrong, but to tell your stories of how, through loving the clay, you have, your worldview has changed. Maybe you were once like her. Tell that story. Maybe you have a brother or a sister, tell that story. Maybe you've been personally harmed, tell that story. We have two different ways you can love the clay today. One way may be more um, visible. 
There's a sign over there that says, I resist harm. And we are going to post pictures of people holding that sign with, with a sentence that says, I resist harm right now in the United Methodist Church because of this. Because I believe Jesus taught us to love the clay, to knead the clay, to, to, or if you're not a person who wants a big sign, it's not a big sign, it's eight by 10. <laughs> if you're not a person who wants, who wants to hold a sign, will you write a letter to Bishop Lewis before you leave today? Will you say in a place where people of all difference have come to a table and sat down and decided not to harm each other, Bishop, please, please, please decide not to do any more harm. Um, please, and tell your story. Don't tell her what she's doing wrong. Just say, I urge you to love the clay. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the variety of people who have found their way here to Kingstown. And we hope we can be a place where no matter who they are, they feel like we believe they were made specially by you. That there's no one in the whole world like them. And that we love them exactly the way they are. And God, we're going to enter into, in a few months, a season of Lent, where we are, it's about confessing our sins, because we know those abound in our lives, and where we seek to, to live into your goodness, where we seek to be the people who sh show the world the best person we can be, and just let that be seen. But right now, we just sit in the fact that we are loved by you. People are loved by you, and we all have our stuff. We all have all the ways we have sinned against you and have, and have turned away. We all have that. And yet all are invited to this table. And so, God, we, we remember today those who have been harmed by fear of difference. We lift them up to you. We lift up to you those, because of up, their upbringing, have become fearful of others and have been hurt by systems in their own lives, no fault of their own, but they're now being held accountable to that or are not being held accountable to that. We lift them up to you as well. We lift up to you all the small ways, God, that we look at others, all the small ways, not the big ways. I believe that Kingstown's a good church at looking at the big things. Sometimes our, most, our biggest judgment, God, is in the small things, in the small ways, in the small ways that we notice difference among each other and make assumptions. And so we, we confess that and we, we truly live into, God, the beauty of, of difference. Even when it annoys us, even when it frustrates us. And we pray that prayer together that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.